technical problems. Uh, uh, the, the sermon set free. And really, um, I'm reflecting on the fact that in Pentecost, we've been uh, thinking about the Holy Spirit and how has the Spirit of God uh, fallen upon all flesh and what it means for us. I was reminded in, in preparing of how, you know, when Jesus um, began His earthly ministry, in uh, Luke's Gospel, chapter 4, verse 18, He pointed out, uh, uh, as He was reading a passage from the book of Isaiah, He quoted this passage where it says, "...the Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free." And, you know, that is the work of the Spirit uh, at work in Jesus Christ. That His Spirit is now at work in us. Jesus said, greater things than these shall you do. You know, and I believe it's, it's um, um, God's mission to set the oppressed free, to break chains that bind us. And uh, in speaking about freedom, you know, being able to travel feels like a little bit of freedom. And it's, it's good to get away, good to have a time of retreat. Uh, so that you, you, you often find yourself tied up in knots. You know, I, I anticipate already in the next few months, there'll be a lot of travel for me, because especially of my role as the Dean of Vietnam, uh, traveling not just to Vietnam, but later on in the year to the States because of a missions conference where we uh, uh, go every three years to try and um, um, uh, um, enlist the help of partners in North America to join us in the mission field. Uh, but nonetheless, you know, getting away is often helpful because, you know, we find life here and now so, uh, uh, so wraps us up in knots, I feel. You know, you, you get um, told all the time, you know, we've got key performance indicators that you need to uh, uh, meet. You know, it's like a rat race that you're doing it. And if you're not working, you know, certainly those of our uh, children who are in school, know all about all the, the um, um, their own KPIs are more like tests and uh, the results, you know, drive them further and further ahead. I can't seem to operate the thing, so you may need to help me. Thanks. Uh, and, you know, all these chains seem to bind us and make it more and more difficult for us uh, to break free. And I, I think, you know, this is something which... Um, um, a word that we really need because, you know, how is the Lord going to set us free from all these things which um, seem to drive us, especially in, this, in a society where, where because of meritocracy, you know, there's always this drive uh, to be more, to do more, to accomplish more. And I'm going to look today at uh, um, this passage in the Old Testament on Elijah, because, you know, it's ironic. You see this story of Elijah. Elijah had just met with great success, attained all that he had set out to achieve in a sense, and yet he ended up in great discouragement. How did God set him free? And then I'll give some uh, allusions to the other two passages that were read today, because I believe, in a sense, that theme sort of uh, um, um, links all these passages to some extent. How did Elijah get to this place? If you know anything of the story of Elijah, and if you don't, you know, I would urge you to go ahead and, and read it for yourselves. Uh, you will see that Elijah had uh, been a very successful prophet. 
he'd heard the word from God telling uh, uh, the people of God that there was going to be a drought. And a drought actually took place. So, you know, he successfully predicted what was about to happen. And um, not only that, he uh, had this glorious victory. If you read the chapter before, in uh, chapter 18 of 1 Kings, you'll see this encounter that he had with the prophets of Baal. You know, the nation of Israel had turned away from God and began worshipping false gods, began worshipping idols, began worshipping the gods of the land. Uh, why that happened, you know, it's complex and, and no time to go into it. But we know that in the story in uh, chapter 18 was a glorious victory. If um, we can click, yep. And in that victory was the direct confrontation between God and Baal, between Elijah as the prophet of God and the prophets of Baal. And you know that story, right? How uh, this altar was erected and he challenged the prophets of Baal, said, let the God who is God answer by fire. So they chanted and they cut themselves and they danced and they you know, called down fire. Nothing happened. Literally crickets, right? <laughs> Silence. Elijah was bold. He erected his altar, but not just any altar, made it out of stones. Then he poured water on the offering like and a trench around it so that the water is gathered around. Then he called God for fire and fire came down. And, you know, in the midst of that, it was a great victory and he, he went about and he, he you know, um, slayed all the false prophets who were leading the people of God astray. And so it was a glorious victory. And then in that, in the, in that context, we pick it up now from verse uh, 1 of First uh, Kings 19, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had then done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba which belongs to Judah and left his servant there. So we see, you know, from where he was in great victory, in that uh, um, confrontation with uh, uh, um, the, the false prophets, and after that, you know, you, you read also about the release of rain. It, it, it's a symbol of, of God's revival, I think. This man of God who was so bold suddenly cowers in the face of a woman. A man of God who could confront his enemies boldly and proclaim, you know, clearly to the Lord. This threat on his life sends him into a downward spiral. Why? What's happening here? If you read on, you know, you realize it's not just about death, okay? It's, it's, it's more than that because, you see, in the first place, he seems to be fearful for his life. But it goes on and it says, But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree, and he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. So he's flip-flopping. On the one hand, maybe he was afraid to die, but on the other hand, he's saying, No, please take my life now. Kill me, kill me now. Saying to God. In some sense, I would suggest, you know, that I think, I, I suspect he was probably in depression. Right? Because when you are depressed, you're not very rational in your thinking. 
On the one hand, you're afraid for your life. On the other hand, you don't want to live anymore. And in, in some sense, I would suggest this was uh, um, um, Elijah's resignation letter. Right? In NIV, it's translated this way. I've had enough, Lord. I quit, you know. <laughs> Literally, he's saying to God. What is it that was driving him? It's telling because he says to God, I'm no better than my father's. Happy Father's Day. <laughs> you know, I, I can identify with this. In um, my dad's passing a couple of months ago, a lot of people talked about all the things that he accomplished, and then I turned around and look at my life. I'm no better than my father's. In fact, I'm worse off in, in some ways. And I think what was happening here with regards to Elijah was he was facing great discouragement because he had expectations of what would happen you know, when he did what God called him to do. And these expectations end up, ended up not being met. He had won a great battle, but he seemed to have lost the war because nothing has changed in some sense. Ahab, the king of Israel, and Jezebel, his wife, were no different. Despite this great encounter, seeing God's tremendous uh, uh, move in their midst left them still the same. Their hearts were still far from God. You know, and I think, I suspect, and I probably, uh, I'm not that too far off, Elijah was greatly discouraged because he found that there was no effect in his ministry. <laughs> that he didn't see things happening as he would have liked them to happen. Thankfully, that's not the end of the story, is it? That's not all that we hear and read and see in this passage of Scripture. Because God answers him. God shows up in that sense. And you see in verse uh, 9, oops, yep. Then he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord... I'll Skip back to the verses, <laughs> which I overlooked later, um, um, a point I want to make. But at verse 9, it says, He came to the cave, and the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? Again, verse 13, right? He asked the same question as um, um, Elijah was still in that cave, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? Is a question that God put to Elijah, and it may sound like a rebuke, which it probably was. What are you doing here? <laughs> Why are you hiding away? Why are you running away? What are you running from? But may I suggest it's also God's gracious uh, word to Elijah. Because he's asking Elijah to take stock of where he is at. You've heard it said, right? People often say experience is the best teacher. And in some sense, that's true, but it's not entirely true. Because experience alone teaches us nothing, right? You can succeed, you can fail, you can actually not learn any lesson from having gone through something at all. What is actually true is this. It's reflected experience that is the best teacher. Taking time to take stock of where you're at, what you've gone through, whether it's the highs or the lows of life, whether you've succeeded or you've failed, 
that ultimately we find uh, true learning. That as we reflect on our experience, we learn. And even more important, when we reflect on our experience in the light of God's revelation, that's when we truly learn. And that's why in verse 11, you know, God says to Elijah, He says, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. Here, God revealed Himself. But notice how He revealed Himself. God was not in the wind, nor the earthquake, nor the fire. He was certainly in the fire on Mount Carmel. But now, you know, God is appearing to Elijah in a very, very different way. And I think it's God's uh, way often with us. You know, if he'd appeared in the fire, in some ways, Elijah would have been uh, uh, familiar with that. He'd just seen God appear in fire uh, prior in, in his experience. But, you know, sometimes we become um, hard of hearing or our assumptions take over when God seems to work in the same way He has worked before. Which is why I've found so often, if you look into church history, that, you know, God never operates in the same way twice. That God always uh, um, defies our expectations and shows up in surprising ways. And in this place, you know, it's interesting, this uh, um, um, translation, the ESV calls it a low whisper. If you read in um, the NIV, it says it's a gentle whisper. I like the NRSV, it says it's a sound of sheer silence, right? It's in the Bible long before Simon and Garfunkel, there's a sound of silence. You realize there's a sound to silence, right? If you've ever been in a room that's treated for sound and it's silent, it, it, it's almost like ringing in your ears. But there was a sound that he heard in the midst of the silence. And it's God showing up in a way that he did not expect. As an aside, I wonder how many of us are expecting God to show up. You know, we've been praying for revival. We've been praying for God to pour out His Spirit. And I think, you know, we're beginning to see the signs of it. Um, um, Evangeline was just sharing with me yesterday the Alpha course. We had a Holy Spirit weekend. Three of the six, is it? Three of the six received Christ. Yesterday at service, at the end of service, I gave an altar call. A lady came forward and she asked to receive Christ. You know, and I think these are all signs of the revival uh, that's coming. They're, they're first fruits in some sense. But, you know, if we keep looking and we look to days gone by, the, you know, the heyday of Good Shepherd when we were in the midst of the revival, when we expect God to show up in the exact same way, I'm afraid that sometimes we, if we do that, we tend to miss what God is actually doing. And God doesn't only show up in the spectacular. Of course, we love the spectacular. But in Elijah's case, he came in this low, gentle whisper. And I think this is God at work. And there are three things we see from this uh, uh, um, encounter with God, three things that God revealed about Himself in His encounter with Elijah that I think are important for us to know. First and foremost is this, that God is merciful. You know, here he was a damaged individual, a person who was broken. I don't know that the spectacular would really speak to him. He needed this low, gentle whisper. 
this quiet word. But not only that, you know, I go back to verses 5 to 8, where he was in this depressed mood. He lay down and he slept under a broom tree. You know, that's often what happens with depression. You, you sleep and you cannot wake up. You know, I was telling my wife in my retreat, I turned off my, all my alarms, you know, hoped to sleep in. I couldn't sleep past 7.30. Every morning I wake up at 7.30. You know, she said, you, 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 you don't know, I can't remember the word she was using for me. But <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, she's like, hey, time to sleep in, you didn't sleep in. Uh, that means I'm not depressed, like, I couldn't, didn't sleep all. <laughs> but, but nonetheless, where was I? Okay, it says... The, the, the angel appeared to him and says, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. Then he goes on, And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he rose and ate and drank and went in the strength of the, that food for 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. To me, this speaks of God's mercy and grace to Elijah. You know, depression has physiological roots as well. It has psychological, emotional roots, which is why I always urge people, when they're going through things, don't uh, avoid therapy. <laughs> you know, go find help. Go find medical help because, you know, sometimes um, um, treatment helps. There's some medication that can help you get out of depression because there are uh, uh, physiological um, chemical imbalances that sometimes need to be set right. There is a need to find good rest and sleep. Make sure that you're eating well. You know, and this was God merciful to Elijah, making sure he ate well, rested well. To get him out of this funk he found himself in. That, that refreshment came because, you see, folks, if we want to see revival, revival begins with us first. There needs to be a personal restoration. There needs to be a personal revival. And if you've been, you know, finding yourself in a place where you are discouraged because you've been praying or you've been working and you've been expecting great things and it hasn't happened yet, maybe it's time for you to take stock. Ask yourself, why am I here? What is God saying to me? And allow God to, re you know, reveal Himself, but also God to minister to you. In, through the means which He has provided. But not only is God merciful, God is also faithful. You know, in Elijah's mind, he's thinking, that's it, I did my best. You know, I failed, right? Failure is what has met all my best efforts. But God is faithful to do what He says He will do. When God says He's got a plan he has a plan. You read on beyond what was read this morning. You know, he, he was told by God, go return on your way to the wilderness in Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of uh, Ebel-Meholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazel shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. And basically what I see in these verses is that God's purposes in chapter 18 were not thwarted in any way by what happened in chapter 19. 
that His plan continues, that God has a plan. God's got your back. I've learned from this that we should never measure our ministry by our expectations. Never measure what God has called us to do by the results in and of themselves. Of course, I'm not saying we ignore results. You know, Yes, we ought to be uh, concerned about results. But we need to measure ourselves by God's purposes. And we need to learn to be patient in God's timing. You know, and and, uh, I've realized in all the years I've lived in ministry and and work that, you know, in hindsight, I can see how God's hand is at work. And oftentimes, His timing is spot on. I'm basically an impatient person. The other day, um, my daughter Rachel was driving me and, you know, she got upset, you know, behind this big lorry and she's a very impatient driver she wants to <laughs> like overtake and I realized she got that from me <laughs> and that's me I'm impatient I want things now and immediately but you know in, in God's um, um, plans and his, his economy you know his timing has always been perfect and he does work his purposes out we need to trust in his faithfulness but thirdly we see that our God is resourceful Elijah was saying, I'm all alone and I failed. I'm no better than my fathers. My fathers failed before me. They couldn't turn Israel from their wicked ways. I'm no better. But God is saying to Elijah, don't worry, Elijah, I've got this. I have left 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. That, that God's saying, I have resources beyond you what you could ever imagine or believe. You think you're alone, the only one doing this, but I've got people whom I'm raising up. Just as an aside, you know, I already prepared this sermon, and uh, yesterday at the um, um, Holy Spirit weekend, uh, our sister Achia was there, and you know, during lunch we had time to chat. I was catching up with her, finding out how her mom's doing and all the, the rest. And then she, she paused, and then she looked at me awkwardly, and I was wondering, well, what's going on? <laughs> I said, Pastor, I have a word from you. you know, I, I was praying that God would uh, give me an opportunity to share this word. Now is the time. So let me share with you. She was fearful uh, because uh, who am I to share a word of God to Pastor? She said, uh, do you know Elijah? I said, yeah, Elijah is my nephew, my son, uh, my brother Timothy. No, no, no. I said, Elijah, who? He said, no, Elijah in the Bible. I said, oh, yeah, of course I know Elijah. I, I didn't tell her I was preparing this sermon. <laughs> and he said, God said uh, that you need to come back and be confident in what the Lord's called you to because he has 7,000 uh, people there. And she doesn't know what I'm going through. Obviously, you know, we were hit hard when uh, Ravi passed away. You know, and, and you wonder the work that God's called us to. Will we find enough people? The work I'm doing in Vietnam, you know, we, we are trying to raise up leaders, uh, indigenous leaders for the church. You, you wonder, is that enough? And it's like that word, it's like I said to her, Achal, this is exactly God's word. You know, do you realize I'm preparing this sermon and I'm going to preach? You know, and it's a reminder to me that God says, I've got this. You don't need to fret or, or to stress out of what I've called you to do. You just trust and obey. That I have the resources, even if you don't see where they are. So often our expectations are far too narrow. 
God's got a wide work that's out there and we see our own small part. We obey. We do it faithfully. But we trust at the end of the day, the results are in His hands. That God is in control. That ultimately brings us to the question of how does this all uh, how is this all relevant to us? What is its relevance to us who are living here and now in this place? I'm wondering maybe is God asking each of us this question? What are you doing here? What's going on in your life at this point of time? Are you discouraged? Are you depressed? Have you been downhearted because you've not seen the results which you had hoped to see as you've obeyed God in the ways you believed He's called you to do? I want you to take heart because we know, of course, in God's economy, there was another man who cried out in his anguish and his despair. One who um, was in a garden and he was so stressed that the Bible tells us he sweat drops of blood. And he cried out to God, if it be possible, take this cup from me. Yet his response ultimately was, not my will, but yours be done. And it's in that context in which uh, uh, the Lord, you know, tells us that we have a high priest, great high priest, who has been tempted as we have been, and yet was without sin, that he identifies with our weaknesses. He knows exactly all that we go through and, and that we struggle with, and he is there for us. This is the same God Sorry, I can't seem to get the thing to advance. Move it forward, Hebrews here. Yeah. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. That he identifies with us, that he knows who we are, and he's got our back. And in that context, then the writer of Hebrews says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Wherever you may be at, understanding that Jesus has gone before us and He understands us, that is the confidence in which we come before God's throne of grace this morning, to find help in our time of need. I end with the verse I started with in Luke's Gospel, chapter 4, verse 18, where Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, and to set the oppressed free. I believe that God wants to set the oppressed free. And oppression comes in three forms. Those of you who've gone through the baptism service know we always talk about the world, the flesh, and the devil, that we have to renounce them. 
you know, and that's where I find the link in all three of the readings that were appointed for today. We see the flesh very clearly here in Elijah's concern. You know, our human nature works against us so often that we are oppressed by the realities of our human nature. We see in the gospel reading of that man who was oppressed by demons that the devil is at work against us. But even in the uh, epistle reading in Galatians, you know, where Paul had to point out that there's neither Jew nor free, uh, uh, Greek nor Jew, uh, Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. You know, it's the world's systems that he was coming up against where prejudice reigned in his day as it does in ours whether it rears its head in terms of racism or in sexism or in other ways which pits us against them. You know, this world system which oppresses us. God says, I've come to set them free. And that's why Jesus pointed out in John 8, 36, He says, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And how does that freedom come? That's what the table of our Lord tells us, right? In Romans, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21, it tells us, For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. It's Christ's sacrifice on the cross which sets us free that He removes that sin from us. He breaks us from the power of sin and death. He breaks the chains which bind us through the finished work on the cross. And that's what we celebrate this morning as we come to the table of our Lord. So with every eye closed, every head bowed, let's come to God in prayer. As we acknowledge all that He has done for us, whatever circumstance you find yourself in, you find yourself tied up in knots and struggling, hear this word from God that He has come to set you free. And whom the Son sets free, you'll be free indeed. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And God's Spirit is here right now, moving in our midst. It's here to set us free from the sin that ensnares us, from the weaknesses of our flesh. He's here to set us free from the world's systems that have squeezed us into its mold, the values that have bound us, the attitudes that constrict us, the systemic injustice that have brought us down. But more than that, He's also come to set us free from the schemes of the evil one, from the work of the devil. As He freed that demoniac, He can free us here and now. No matter what our circumstance or what we face, Let's just receive God's freedom as I pray for you. If that's you, why don't you lift your hands to the Lord? 
as you receive your freedom in Him right now, whatever stresses you or distresses you, just receive God's gift of grace to release His freedom upon you. Gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word which comes sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing soul from spirit, cutting to the heart of the matter, which at the end of the day, Lord, is the matter of our hearts. Father, I pray that you remind us again in a very real way the victory that Christ won on the cross for us to recognize that on that cross we see a God who is merciful. We discover a God who is faithful and a God for whom resources are never an obstacle. Thank you, Lord, that on that cross we see your great love for us. And I pray in Jesus' name as the Holy Spirit speaks into your heart and your life. Be set free right now. Free from the fears which bind you. Free from the oppression that plagues you. Be free to step forward in faith, to trust God at His Word, and to obey fully with no concern of what others think of you or what kind of uh, reputation that may leave you with. All that matters is what God thinks of you. And God loves you with an everlasting love. And He calls you to His own. Just receive that freedom right now to do that. and Live into that. Lord, I ask and pray for each and every one of us here, myself included, that Lord, You continue to set us free from the things that hold us back free to become all that you have intended for us to be. Thank you, Lord. We praise you, Father. In all these things, we ask and pray in your Son's most precious name. And all God's people say, Amen.